Good morning, everyone. I like the, is it happy Sunday? Good Sunday? Happy Sunday. I love that. That's a great, great line. So it's, it's always, um, it's always an honor to be able to open God's word and be able to teach the word and preach the word. And uh, it's a great joy for me to be able to be with you here at Tower Road Bible Chapel, where I get to see some old friends and play some great music together without any rehearsing at all, too. That was fun. Really enjoyed that. You know, um, so I got to preach at Mountain Ridge last week, and I mentioned and was able to incorporate into that sermon some thoughts from this morning. But I said, you know, I was asked to preach on Ezra chapter one to three, and everybody laughed, you know, because oftentimes we don't spend as much time in the history books, right? of the Old Testament. Uh, we may go back and refer to the, the books of the law, right? Um, but there's some great rich history about the nation of Israel and God's dealing with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And so with that, we're going to be looking this morning at, um, at the first three chapters of Ezra. So I had to think about this, you know, going back to kind of my early days in Sunday school, the, the books of the Bible song, right? Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. So if, if that helps you a little bit, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. It's a, um, it's a lengthy passage. So we're actually, we're not going to read the entire thing. Uh, what I want to do is um, go through uh, each chapter a little bit and call out some key themes. But before that, given that you're just embarking on your study of the book of Ezra, I thought, let's Let's provide some historical context a little bit for what was happening with the nation of Israel at this time and, and how God was moving uh, amongst them. So before we enter into those thoughts, let's uh, just ask the Lord's blessing one more time this morning. Our God and Father, we're, um, we're so grateful for the timeliness of the wisdom and the spirit-led teaching that we get from your scriptures. Lord, uh, we know that you've created all the times and all the seasons. And as each one of us goes through our journey of life and we walk our Christian walk, Lord, um, we encounter trials and difficulty. And we also encounter times of, of great joy uh, and learning, Lord, and growth. And so wherever uh, each one of us is in our individual walk, Lord, uh, we would just pray that your presence would be felt greatly and uh, Lord, we know that you are the ever-present help in time of need, and everyone here has a need for you, Lord. So we would just ask that you would richly fill those needs here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I think about the history of the nation of Israel, it's a, it's a history of division. Actually, we call it Israel, but at, at the time this was happening, right, the, the nation had been split. And so you had the tribes of Judah and Benjamin um, were on, on their own. And by this time, the other 10 tribes that now would be referred to as the 10 lost tribes of Israel right, had already been taken away into another land and into captivity in Assyria. And so you have the remnant of Judah here um, when the, the, uh, the Babylonians come in. Um, and they capture the, the remnant. And the book of Ezra deals with that time after s- about 70 years of captivity in Babylon for this little nation of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. But if I think even further back than that, um, this idea of division, a theme we're going to consider this morning is that division often begins with us drifting away from the Lord. 
division often begins with us drifting away from the Lord. And so if you think about the nation of Israel, right, what was their history? Their history was one that began with a desire for a, a king. And so you could think about the verses in 1 Samuel 8 and 6 and 7. Samuel was displeased because the nation of Israel had said, give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. And the Lord says to Samuel, uh, Samuel went before the Lord. This thing displeased Samuel when they said, give a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. That I should not reign over them. When we reject the Lord as king, division creeps in. And so the nation struggled after that. Um, You can read that through various books in in the Old Testament, uh, that during the reign of Rehoboam, the, the nation split into two and you had Israel and Judah. And, you know, I think the Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, uh, in Matthew 12, 25, it says, but Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, every king divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And so that quest for give us a king is a turning away from the Lord that leads to division and division ultimately leads to destruction division ultimately leads to destruction every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and it won't stand it's the wisdom of the lord jesus you know oftentimes we think of the book of solomon and how wise solomon was that solomon got his wisdom from god when he asked god for it and it's sometimes lost on us that the wisdom of jesus is far greater right than the wisdom of Solomon. We're going to consider together this morning some verses in Hebrews that deal with the the thought that the one who built the house has greater honor than the house itself. The one who built the house has greater honor than the house itself. And so when we start to ascribe honor to the house itself and say things like, give us another king, right? We're turning away from the builder. We need to turn towards the builder. And so that's the context for the book of Ezra. They're in captivity. Uh, Judah and Benjamin, those tribes are in captivity in, in Babylon. And what we see in the book of Ezra is that even in, in the midst of chaos and division, God is still working. He still works in our lives. Even when we're a mess and we go astray, right? For those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus would say about those sheep that the father has given them that no one would ever snatch them out of his hands. And so God is still interested in you. God still loves you. And he's still able to work even in the midst of chaos and division that life brings about and that sin brings about. You know, the the Lord's ways are different. They're not our ways. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We can trust in the Lord this morning because 
he knows the future, he knows the past, he knows the present, and he's looking for us to put our trust in him. Okay, uh, Ezra chapter one. I actually think I'm going to read the entire, yeah, it's not a long chapter, Ezra chapter one. Two, we're going to gloss over a little bit. There's some key points for two, but it's a, it's a tougher read. So Ezra chapter one, we'll read the whole chapter. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, Besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with the articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Merodach, the treasurer, and counted them out to Shizbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind. 1,000 other articles, and all the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All of these Shizbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. So we start to get into some of our counting there, right? But the the key thoughts um, for this chapter, as I looked at this, um, this movement happened through the spirit of the Lord. God's spirit speaks to different people in different times. And it's ultimately that, that in a very real way, um, creates the circumstances that surround us in life. God's spirit has a hand in creating the circumstances that surround us in life. So sometimes we look at circumstances and we can be frustrated. We can be angry. We can be sad. And yet through all things, right? In all times, God has a reason and he has a plan. His ways are in our ways. And we can look at those things and say, I can trust in the Lord because his spirit can move and his spirit is moving. And so in this time, God moved Cyrus's heart to have the nation uh, go back to the capital to rebuild the temple. God's spirit moved the heads of the houses to worship the Lord and to moved the people to give more generously to be able to support this work that God's spirit was planning. You know, a lot of times it's hard to be patient 
while we're waiting on God's spirit, because again, his ways are not our ways and, and his times are not our times. Um, and I can think about um, many times throughout history where you would say, how, how could the Lord let it go so long before he stepped in and took action? Why was there so much history? And, and even the time from this point in time until the Lord Jesus came, why so long, Lord? How long do I have to wait, Lord, before you step in and you bring about your plans and you deliver me or you restore me? How long do I have to wait? God's ways are not our ways, but he's faithful to each one of us that the work he's doing in the life of a believer that he'll complete it when we trust in him. I think about this concept of um, Cyrus bringing out the articles uh, of worship that Nebuchadnezzar had placed in the house of his gods. And, and I think in that there's a picture of how sometimes sacred things are tarnished and they're brought into a place that they don't belong. And yet God can restore those things in his time. We need to turn to the Lord for restoration and he can restore us. Chapter two starts to deal with uh, the people going back to their own cities. And so there, there's a lot in chapter two that deals with um, chronicling all of the different clans, right? And the numbers, it's one of these chapters where you just have account after account after account. So we're not going to read the whole, the whole count. Um, two big points here, right? The people returning back to their own cities, you know how it feels when you come back to your house after a long vacation where you've been away for a little while and you step in the door and you say, oh, this is home. I think about the nation being brought back into the land and how they must have felt, right? The rejoicing that comes from stepping back into something that's comfortable, that's familiar, that has uh, meaning for us, right? It's a sacred place and they were going back into the land. And so that feeling of returning home is significant. And then secondly, there's this aspect where uh, they recorded in great detail who was going back. You know, it's, it's a great thing to remember and to record the way that the Lord works in our lives and what he does, right? And so Psalm 77, 11 through 12, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all of your work and talk of all of your deeds. It's a good thing to chronicle and, and have memories. You know, we have pictures. It's amazing, you know, that you can go back and a picture can recall memories. They didn't have that back then, right? And so they had to write down, well, who all went into the land with us again? And so I think there's a very significant aspect there of recording the way that God works in your life so that you can understand and look back years later, what was going on and and how did um, God work in our life at that time? So I'm going to get, I'll get personal for a moment here, right? I'm turning 40 years old this year. And Linda and I are, we have our 20th anniversary this year. It, it feels like yesterday, right? I'm, so we're doing a lot of, you know, going back and just thinking about the life that we had and how it started. And, and trust me when I say it, it, it wasn't perfect, right? Um, there were people who told us like, you guys really ought to wait two or three or four years before you go down this path. And it's really hard to say because there are sides of it that I can look back and say they were 100% right. And then there are sides of that that say, you know what, those four years that were 
a mess, right? Molded a lot of who I am now and who we are now. And so we're going back and reconciling some of that right now. And you don't always remember history accurately. So we had a lot of thoughts in our mind around the ways that things happen and the ways that things work. And then you go back and you start looking at calendars and you start looking at pictures and photos and you start recalling the way that the Lord worked in our life early on in our marriage to make us work, right? Because there were ways that we did not work in those first four years. And then most of you know, you know, we went through various trials, right? We went through 9-11 together, both having worked in the World Trade Center. We went through, we actually did a construction project on our house in the first year of marriage. Never do that. Josh, don't do it, buddy. <laughs> we, we had a great dinner with Josh and Tanya. And we're like, well, do we work on the house that we're in right now? We're like, buy something else or wait a while before you go tearing your house apart. It was, it was a disaster. We had rain come through the ceiling. Big trial, big test, right? Um, we lost our first daughter, Maddie, you know, at, at her one-year birthday. Uh, we went through, before we had Maddie, we went through many years of trying to have a child and hitting brick wall after brick wall and, and suffered many losses during, during that time. Um, so there's a lot of molding that the Lord does through trial and through circumstance to bring you closer together in relationships that are important, but then also to bring you closer to him and to be able to record that and go back is a significant thing. So take advantage of that. But there's a second aspect of recording it. That's important. And I'm jumping ahead and I'm, I'm setting Joey up a little bit for, for next week. And that's this idea that others tried to creep in and say, let us be a part of this picture, right? Um, And the answer for them was was no, right? This is a special group of people that were designated by the Lord uh, through Cyrus to rebuild the temple. And so there's an aspect here where the naming of all these people set them apart for God's purposes. There are times that unique people are set apart in, in a different way for God's purposes and for his time. And so there was a recording of who those people were um, so that they would know that. So that's chapter two. Chapter three to me is the most um, relevant piece of scripture that I've had a chance to preach on in a very long time. And I did not see that coming um, when when Paul asked me to preach on these three uh three chapters. And so we're going to spend you know, the bulk of our time and the rest of our time here uh, in chapter three. And let me just check. What is the rest of our time? Are we 1145 here or are we 12 or somewhere in between? Somewhere in between. All right, I'm going to go till I'm done. And, and I've got a song at the end too. And, and then we'll call it. Um, all right. Chapter three. You know what? This is another one. We're going to read all of chapter three and keep an open ear here. Lord, keep our, our hearts and our ears open because there are some very relevant, significant things in this chapter. And when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Josedach and his brethren, the priest and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and his brethren arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them, because the people of those countries, they set the altar on the bases, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, 
both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. They also kept the Feast of the Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offerings and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and those of everyone who willingly offered a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second month of the second year of the coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of captivity to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons, and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee the working of the house of God. The sons of Hanadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice, when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes, yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people for the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. I'm going to get to that last section, which to me is, is so relevant uh, in today's day and age. But if we go through this chapter sequentially, right, I think about the unity um, that exists in this passage, right? It says together uh, in verse one, that the people gathered uh, together as, as one. And then in verse nine, when it talks about uh, Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee those working the house of God, you know, back to that idea of division, right? Um, is us wandering away from the Lord. And that's when it creeps in. And when they came back to the Lord, when they came back to that place of worship, they were united in what they were doing together. And that's a beautiful picture that the people gathered together as one. And, you know, it wasn't always easy. In verse three, we read that um, fear had come upon the people and that fear was about the people in the land. You're going to learn more about that um, next week with Joey in chapters four and five. Um, but they were afraid, regardless of them being afraid, they still went forward and set the altar on its foundation. I love that picture of setting the altar on its foundation, on, on its bases. It wasn't a temporary structure. 
it was intended to be there and to stay. And so that, that idea there is that they weren't um, setting themselves up for continuing to wander, right? The idea was they're, they're putting themselves in a place and saying, this is God's place and we want to stay here. We want to build on a foundation. Now, what is that foundation? For us, that foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation that we build on. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the one that we put our trust in. And when we think about the construction of, of, a, of a system of worship, right, it all needs to sit on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to come back to that thought in a minute. But if that's important. When we think about a system of worship, the way that we worship, it needs to be rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. They started worshiping before the rest of the temple had been built. That's an interesting thought. You know, you ever uh, think, well, I'll be ready to go worship the Lord when I deal with this, right? I'll be ready to follow the Lord when this piece of my life is done and it is in order, right? They didn't wait for the whole temple to be built to start worshiping the Lord. As soon as they had the altar, they started worshiping the Lord. So don't wait for the symbol of God's presence, right, to be restored in that way before following the Lord and turning to him in worship. People have an, a human nature to say, you know, before I, before I follow the Lord, we've dealt with this with people we've witnessed to. I want to turn to the Lord. I want to follow him. But before I do that, I need to fill in the blank, whatever that thing is. Um, my mind was drawn to... Uh, the story where uh, one of the disciples came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, follow me. And he said, yes, but just suffer me. Let me go bury my father first. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let the dead bury their dead. You follow me, but you follow me now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. If there's an altar there to worship the Lord, we should be worshiping the Lord. And so, um, thinking about the temple as a house, as a structure, right? A house is an important thing and it can be a very symbolic thing, but it's not the most important thing. And that's what brings us back um, to that idea in, in Hebrews chapter three uh, that, that we uh, thought about earlier. Actually, we could turn there together. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter three and pivot a little bit. We're going through Hebrews up at um, Mountain Ridge. Yeah, here we go. We're going to read uh, Hebrews 3 and starting at verse 1. And one of the key themes when you think about Hebrews is um, working to convince the people, right, the Jewish people, that Christ is better than their entire system. Christ is better than their heritage Christ is better than their legacy. Christ is better than their heroes, right? And in the same way, we need to be reminded, right, that Christ is better than our system. Christ is better than our heritage. He's better than our legacy, and he's better than our heroes. And Hebrews reminds us of that. So in Hebrews 3, starting at verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, 
as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. He who built the house has more honor than the house. So if you think back to uh, the rebuilding of the temple, they didn't wait to worship the Lord because the Lord gets the honor and we don't wait for the house, right? To be finished and perfect before the Lord gets the honor. I, um, we also have to keep in mind the temporal things of this world in, in light of the future that we have before us. So talking back again to a couple personal notes, um, Linda and I've lived in Warren for that 20 years we've been married. And at this point in our life, we're, we're considering building a house in town on a new plot of land opportunity came up and we're like, we feel like we need a fresh start. And this project, which is horribly timed, is not a good time to build a house, right? Um, but it represents something for us. And we're feeling led by the spirit to go down this path. And if a wall comes up, we're done and we stay where we are and that's fine, right? Um, but as we explore together what that idea of a f- fresh start, if you want to call it that, or kind of a, a rekindling of our life together, what that represents, there's a very real a presence of the idea that a house is symbolic and it's important, but a house is not a marriage, right? A house is not a marriage and the temple is important and it's symbolic, right? But the temple itself is, is just a symbol. It's not the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be the one who gets the honor. And in the same way, let's step it forward in the present in the here and now, the way that we gather together in worship and our feelings about our heritage and our legacy and our system and our heroes, right, are important and symbolic, but they're not on par with the Lord Jesus Christ and the honor that he gets, right? And so this whole passage deals with change, and that's what we're going to get to, this idea of the old temple versus the new temple, right, and people's feeling about change And what do they put their value in? Because similar, similarly to uh, the nation of Israel saying, give us a king causing division, right? If we elevate something other than the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to cause division. If we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be united. And so, Looking at this passage, what happens at the end, verses 10 through 13, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout. When they had praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and head of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice with the foundation of this temple. When the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes, yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people for the people shouted with a loud shout. And the sound was heard afar off. And so this thought of division, right? There were those who had seen, you know, a better day, right? 
they saw the old temple. It was a better day. And they wept with the construction of the new temple. And then you've got the young people that are rejoicing in the building of the new temple, right? Without necessarily appreciating the old temple. And they're all kind of missing the point, right? The point is that the builder gets more honor than the house. And here they are either lamenting or rejoicing over a structure and a symbol instead of focusing on the Lord. And I can't think of a more relevant message for not just your church here or Mountain Ridge up the hill, right? But God's church is United Church uh, across the world today in light of the change and disruption that's happening um, in the world. And so I've got half of the audiences on a screen in front of me. And half of the audience is here in a room, right? And we can either rejoice over that or lament over that, right? But if it's taking our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ as our king, that's a problem. And we're going to have division, right? At Mountain Ridge, we had a little debate over, should we replace the pews with chairs, right? And if, the, if, we're, if we're placing more honor, right? as a people, on whether our room has pews or chairs instead of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a problem. And so, you know, we love to sing songs like King of Kings, right? And and so relevant that we sang that song this morning. And it's very easy to say, yes, Jesus is our King, right? But it's also very easy to drift into a place where we're not living that way, right? If Jesus was really the king of this church, would we be thinking about things like pews versus chairs? And in our own lives, you know, we say Jesus is king. Okay, yeah, but am I willing him to follow him down an uncomfortable path in my family, right? Is he king of my resources? Is he king of my time and, and my money, right? Am I willing to just turn that over to him and say, Lord, you get the glory, you know, lead me. Whatever you've got for us to do here, right, is okay with me. I shouldn't even have a say, right? It's okay with me. Back then, like, why did you lead us into captivity, Lord? 70 years in Babylon, a whole generation of people, right, outside of the lands. And the Lord brings them back in. God, why did you allow that to happen? I think about our time, you know, we, 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 it's easy for me to think about the Lord Jesus Christ as the king of my destiny, right? Because I don't know what tomorrow brings. I have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow, right? And so it's easier for me to turn that over to him and say, Lord, this is yours. The future belongs to you, and I'm going to trust in you for the future. It's a little bit harder to turn today over to him, right? Because I'm in my body, I'm living today. And it's very easy when you're living today in the present to live for yourself and not turn that over to the Lord. There's an active nature that needs to happen in order to live today for the Lord. And back to my personal situation and all of our personal situation, it can be really hard to turn the past over to the Lord and say, God, this is yours, right? And so you can resolve it. You can heal it. You can bring new life out of it. It's very hard to turn the past over. That's a whole nother conversation for a a whole nother day. But again, I want to get back to this thought. There's a similar picture. There's a cohesion between the book of Ezra and what's happening in the nation of Israel at that time. And that thought in Hebrews that 
Christ is better. And in the same way, we can apply that thought to our thinking, again, about our system and our heritage, our legacy, our heroes. Christ is better. He's sufficient for everything we need. There's no lack that we have in Christ that we're going to go find in somebody else, right? I love the people in this room. I love the people in my family. I love the people in Mountain Ridge. And in different ways, God's used people around me to heal me and restore me and cause me to grow at different times. And I can appreciate that, right? But I give Christ all the honor and the glory for that because he's the one through his spirit that moves people at the right time. He's the one who makes sure that our needs are met. He's the one that's sufficient for us. And when he's the one in focus, right? Not the old temple versus the new temple. When he's the one in focus, we are unified in honoring him. He's present with us. He heals us. He restores us. And he leads us. Our God and Father, we're so grateful for how you speak to each of our hearts. Lord, for the examples that you've set for us in scripture, but most importantly, in the example that you've given us of your love and sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us, uh, in whom there's all power and all dominion and all authority, Lord, and all wisdom. And Lord, help us to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us not to be uh, distracted by uh, human thoughts of systems and legacies and heritages and heroes, Lord but that we would focus on the work of your son, that he would lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.